Oh, there we go. Welcome back to my second hour on air right here on Radio Pulpit 657 AM. Absolute privilege and honor to be coming to you guys live this evening. And a special shout out to the people on 729 Cape Pulpit as well, all the way from Gauteng to the Cape. And even as far as, believe it or not, tonight we've got people tuning in from Mumbai in India. Charlotte Wistos and tuned in from there. Just send me a message. Uh, we've got Chris Calls all the way from Australia. We've got an organization tuning in tonight. On uh, from Israel, believe it or not, from Israel, I've received messages the past week from Israel uh, with this whole week that just passed with a hate speech bill and um, sure, a lot of lot of traction that we have right now. We want to utilize this opportunity to proclaim the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. So, just an update quickly. Uh, right now, the WhatsApp, Facebook, and Instagram servers are down. We just received notification from WhatsApp itself and WhatsApp. Said that they are aware of the problem and their tech team is working around the clock to resolve the issue. So that means that you cannot send WhatsApps tonight, which is actually quite a pity because usually you guys have a lot of questions when I have guests on air, like the guest I'll be introducing shortly. I'm very excited to host her tonight, and I'm sure you will also be excited. So, that being said, I don't know when the WhatsApp line will go back on again, but in the meantime, you can use our other platforms. Telegram, 0826572729. You can use the SMS 37871, and you can send us an SMS. Or alternatively, you can go to Facebook, and you can go send me a message right there on Facebook, and I'll gladly respond to it, or my guest will respond to it. So, um, yeah, I think we should get the show on the road. Right, to give you guys some context, um, what happened to me in my life last week, and I actually want to pitch it like that just before I introduce my guest, because I just came through one week of dealing with some form of politics, and yo, ish, um, uh, <laughs> I don't exactly have the words to explain to you. I can see my guest on the other side nodding her head. Uh, I came through a week and it is scary to explain to you guys how much messages I've received, how much the, the correct words is onslaughts I've received, um, attacks I've received, threats I received, uh, just because as a child of God, I want to make sure that we as Christians own up to our responsibility if it comes to politics. I've done this for a week, guys, and I'm exhausted. I'm drained. My guest tonight has been doing this for more than 20 years. My guest tonight isn't someone that just sits at the distance. It's someone that had an active role in the parliament. In parliament. So... I am so blessed tonight to introduce my guest to you. Now, before I give the mic over to her, please allow me a few minutes because give credit where credit's due. Uh, That is how my mom and my dad brought me up. I'd like to read to you my guest and the bio that I have in front of me. Tonight, we'll be talking to uh, Sherilyn Dudley. Right. Here we go. Who recently joined the DIA Logos as a political analyst She's a former member of parliament in South Africa with 20 20 years experience. (laughs) I couldn't last a week. Uh, Hats off to you even before we start with our chat tonight. A member of international panel of uh, parliamentarians on freedom of religion and belief since 2011 and the board member of a graduate school of influences. Um, 
working with uh, colleagues at Dio Logos, the goal is to provide a divine and glorious opportunity to see God's fingerprints in the world that is often perceived as chaotic and corrupt. Corrupt. Apologies. Sheridan also approached uh, politics and especially the challenges of South African politics with a different spirit. Spirit of Caleb, like numbers, like in Numbers 14, verse 24. Understanding that God is sovereignly shaping nations and calling people everywhere to choose hope and reject war. All right, almost done, almost done, but hold on, there's a few more. Sharon is also the author of Through My Eyes. Through my eyes, life, politics, and religion. We'll get to that a bit more uh, in detail a bit later. All right. I don't like the suspense. She's got to do the talking. What an awesome privilege to be welcoming Sherilyn tonight. Good evening. How are you? Hi there. I'm good. Thanks. And you? Um, I'm exhausted. (laughs) How are you still alive? Yeah. I can understand. I I feel for you. It's it's um I, I don't think I don't think the general public, with all due respect, no pun intended to any of you, will truly understand the stress that people go through. I'm not even a, a politician. I literally just went through a week of being a voice for the church on the hate speech bill. And um, <laughs> there's a please take this in the right light. I'm going to make a joke, but if that bill was active, I would have had a lot of leverage in court with people that attacked me the past week. <laughs> Sorry, yes. <laughs> How have you lasted 20 years? Well, you know, and the thing is, we're like surrounded by these supposedly peaceful people of faith, and they're the biggest attackers of everybody. So, so I'm, I'm hoping my goal is that I, 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 at least by one degree, can lower people's attack mode. Attack mode. I seriously, is, uh, I seriously want to take my hat off for, uh, firstly, for politicians in general, okay, but secondly, for children of the Lord that that chooses to walk into parliament on a daily basis and and deal with these things you've been there for 20 years and may i ask your reason for leaving well it was five years before that in party politics but my reason for leaving was party politics and i felt that opposition politics had become hugely destructive and and we needed as a nation to really contemplate whether a shared future is possible. And if it's possible, we actually have to apply ourselves to that and not be part of the game that that is creating greater sort of division and, and antagonism and attacking people and tearing people down. And so, you know, I, I was seeing something that really um, I thought was going in the wrong direction. And I mean, I know this is really important. We need to have a majority parties. We need to have our opposition but we also really, really as individuals should actually seriously um, look at ourselves in terms of what are we portraying? Is it the image of Christ or is it the image of something else? So, so I, I just felt that I could, uh, from a nonpartisan position, I, I, I would have a greater benefit and um, uh, my, my role now, I, I kind of what I felt was modelled a role in, in Parliament and, and now I, I just needed to be able to speak very straight to what I'd seen, what I've heard and what I'm thinking. I'll be, I'll be bluntly honest with you. Um, I think your number one listener tonight will be myself. 
Um, and, and, and I'll explain to you why. Let me just give you some, 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 some feedback why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. For a lot of years uh, before elections uh, took place, myself and my wife and my family, we would sit around the table and we would debate the various parties and we would debate who we will be standing for, who will we will be voting for. But um, it's, 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 it's one week later and my mindset has sort of switched from um, – being um, objectively positive towards certain parties, I've come to the conclusion, in my personal opinion, that at this point in time, if the Church of Christ can't even stand together, it's irrelevant what party we'll be voting for. And and this is something perhaps I know for a fact that I'm gonna I might be offending some people, but with all due respect, I don't care. I want to just be a voice for Christ. Um, I was really caught off guard this week. I was caught of God, uh, and, and, and I was caught of God because I did not receive a single onslaught on social media and in the press um, by non-believers. The, the fights that took place the past week was within the church. It was pastors yeah. of congregations and of denominations attacking us and attacking this bull and calling this bull a hoax. And we're doing this to, to, to ramp up people's emotions, to get followers. And the church of Christ is uninformed. And even when we need to act like we were supposed to the last week, it is it is actually a shame that we fought only for 100,000 submissions. If we are the Church of Christ with more than 80% of the country, why is 100,000 so difficult together? I can tell you why I think it's so difficult. is because people with the best, what, the best intentions actually fall into the trap of fear-mongering and going overboard into exaggerations and things that other people can pick up a mile away. So, and even when they don't put their finger on it, they don't understand it entirely. But when people are, become so, um, what, so involved in what they want to see happen, they forget about the truth, which involves listening. You may have part of the story. Someone else may have another part. We None of us see the whole picture. We actually do need to learn to listen a lot more. We, we learn to act. We also need to not be afraid of saying what the facts are. What people often are doing in Christian circles is that they're reading into the situation what could happen. Now, you can do that with anything. You can do it with a bottle of aspirin you can do it with a fairy story you can do it with the bible anything it, your husband that you adore today but what could he do tomorrow or what could you know you there's a lot of could be's because life is unpredictable but if you're going to go into that and then you're feeding people all the what could be's it has nothing to do with actually, uh, what should I say, respecting people's ability to to make the best um, of what they can understand. So we need to feed people also the facts in a slightly more objective way in terms of allowing people to apply their minds to those things. And yes, we encourage each other to say, this could happen. But not only that could happen, this could happen and this could happen. Wonderful things could happen. Terrible things could happen. And then we know also from our Bible that when Christians got so comfortable in their churches, 
<laughs> and I think of COVID and God trying to close the church doors so that we'll actually get out and do what we're supposed to do. And the, the hoo-ha, we, we forgot all about our mandate and we got into a hoo-ha of having to open the doors of the church. But those are the things in the Bible that God used to get people out of Jerusalem, get people out of where they were and into the rest of the world. The gospel only got shared because we were disallowed from actually getting this, what I call a lager mentality, where we want to get inside this thing, put all the wagons around, and now we're just going to shoot to kill outside. Um, but that, that's nothing to do with the mandate that we have as Christians. So a lot of the, dis- the global disruptions that we see, all people, all Christians are seeing as the negative side of things. But the Christians that are in those things are actually, they are so aware of the fact that they are the light in that darkness. And the darker it gets, the more the light is able to be seen and people, because salvation is the goal. And every time we see someone in their darkness, we're, we're, we're being encouraged to get into fear and, and war mode and, and, and praying people down and whatever. What we should be doing is praying the enemy down to release that person and, and doing everything we can to actually for the salvation of that person. So, so there's a whole lot for me that in the fear mongering. Now, and, and, and I am not saying that Christians should not be politically aware. We do need to have our newspaper, our Bible, and my newspaper, of course, is my iPad and my iPhone and whatever, and all of the, the, the books and the history and the things. All of these things are important along with our Bible. So I'm not saying that we shut off in that, that, that way. But we need to understand. We need to put things into perspective. And we need to calm down a bit. We need to, to remember that our trust is in God. Mm. And if he allows certain things to happen, we could be missing the point if we're jumping to conclusions and we're jumping to predictions and we're jumping to all kinds of things. So I think we need to take a deep breath as the body of Christ. <laughs> and we need to observe get, and, and then get the, 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 the sense of how we fit into the picture, where we're going to bring the greatest good. And that is not attacking that is not attacking um, uh, because people don't get saved by being attacked. They get saved by seeing the sacrificial love of God in action. Um, so anyway, so that was a whole story on its own. <laughs> no, but, but your story is very well put. I just want to um, just, just a follow up on this. So I do agree with you 100% that we should just start a, stop a moment and breathe because if God leads us to it, he'll lead us through it. Um, he made us promises, and he won't just let us go. But I also do think, and please help me if I'm wrong. You've been in politics longer than me. Please help me. But I also think that we should be careful just to become a bit too comfortable as the Church of Christ on the back seat. I think we just got to also understand that we do have a biblical and a godly mandate. Um, and in fact, uh, sorry, but Scripture says that we are his ecclesia. And, and, and long story short, but that means that we play an active role in the decisions that's being made in Parliament. And as much as you say, yeah, let's breathe, 
but breathe while understanding that we have a role to play if it comes to legislation in Parliament. And the last week it fell to me, and Sheldon, just to give you a bit of, of, of feedback, there's a, um, I'll choose my words carefully, um, but there's a specific church organization and pastor who has never gone to Facebook platforms, uh, SMS platforms, and WhatsApp platforms who have never spent a single cent to proclaim the gospel of Christ, but he, but they did go to Vodacom and approach Vodacom to distribute thousands of messages to stop Christians from supporting the hateful speech submission. Now, for me, that is very contradicting to the mandate that God gave us because you can't even spend money to send Bible verses in an SMS, but you can spend money to stop Christians from, from voting. So help me if I'm wrong. Let's breathe, yes, but don't be comfortable in the backseat because we do have a role to play if it comes to parliament and legislation. Let, let, let me just ask you so, so I can get, understand that. So if, if the church was wanting Christians to not vote for the bill or to vote against the bill. So just to give you some perspective, um, we, we've so every once a month I have a show and then I invite um, legislative uh, people and lawyers and so forth and so forth. And about three months ago, uh-huh. we did go through the bill. We did go through the open for public comment and for submissions. And we did go through people in church organizations si- signing petitions and sending it through. But then we've moved on. We moved on to the hate speech bill and submission date being the 1st of October. It's two different bills. It's two different times. Yes. So the yes. moment we went to social media last week, and we requested the Church of Christ to stand up together and to please do submissions for the hate speech bill, which is not the Papuna bill. A specific organization went to social media and tried to stop us, saying that this whole hate speech bill is a hoax because the church already signed it three months ago and they never spent money to distribute Bible verses on SMSs, but they spent money to stop us trying to get submissions for the hate speech bill. And that is my concern. is important because it's part of our uh, having a, a vibrant democracy and in terms of people being able to feel that they they have a voice and and being and and we won't all be saying the same thing but yeah. it is important that we have our say and then we collectively actually work with what we get at the end of the day so i think what you were doing was really very important and it is a pity but it it just also shows how quick we are Mm. And 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 how bad we are at actually also diffusing people's mm. attacks and anger. Um, so th- there's a lot that we could be, do. I think do a lot Different. more work on in our for ourselves with ourselves in terms of within the body because that unity is so important. And it doesn't mean you doesn't mean uniformity of what we say, how we dress, what we what we do. It, it's a unity in terms of, of, of just this broader picture of knowing that we're all important and that God is the one that we have our trust in. We're not trusting each other. We're trusting him. And then we're going to trust him with that horrible person. And we're going to trust, they've got to trust <laughs> God in us and, and that kind of thing. So so we should, we're just terribly, like we're such warmongers. Yeah, that uh, worries me that, that I have to tell you. Well, I think we should turn, uh, I think we should turn the page. Let's, uh, <laughs> I think we should go to one of the reasons why we are discussing and why we're chatting tonight. One of the stuff is,
is a book. Um, and it's, 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 it's the mandate that God gave you and what you are doing now. But I think before we go there, let's take a very short break. This is a hefty topic. <laughs> let's take a very short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a book. And I'll give you more about the book after the break. So please don't go anywhere. Myself, Sheridan Dudley, will be back right after the break. Sheridan, please stay right there. I'll see you right after this. Uh, this is Heinz. Right, you back on Radio Pulpit 657 AM, your daily companion with me, Dwayne von Rensburg. And, of course, our guest tonight, Sherilyn Dudley. 20 years in politics. I still take my hat off. I've got a hat on in studio tonight. Um, I'm not coming live on Facebook. Uh, Facebook's down. Whoop, yeah. But um, if you could have seen me, I would have taken off my hat for someone that's been in, uh, in Parliament for so long. But anyway, all right, let's get back to... Uh, our evening, which I'm very excited about. I'd like to know from you, Sharon, what is, um, what would you say is, uh, is your passion? Well, my passion generally overall is this whole idea of a shared future. And you've already touched on the idea that at this point in time, we don't even have a shared future as a, <laughs> as a Christian community. <laughs> and, and I think it's really important that, that we should be focused on, um, looking to to get that kind of how can we work together and share our resources without killing each other <laughs> and that's really important and and that's from a country point of view as well because then it's even outside of our christian understanding um where there's enough diversity on its own there's greater diversity and, and different beliefs and, and and culture groupings and etc so so that for me is 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 a huge issue but of course i i am a person who's drawn to philosophy and philosophers and, and i'm grateful for people like jonathan pennington highly regarded new testament scholar and popular teacher who argues that we need to recover the lost biblical image of jesus as the one true philosopher and i found that really profound and and he teaches us to rediscover biblical christianity as a whole life philosophy um, one that addresses our greatest human questions and helps us live meaningful and successful lives. Because when you think of it, this is what people are asking all the time. What is the meaning of life? What's the purpose? What's this? What's that? All of these questions, they're not asked by Christians. They're asked by, by every person who, who was ever born. And, and Christianity is a whole life philosophy. And we, you know, I just find it really important for us to present it as such. It addresses our greatest human questions, helps us to live meaningful and successful lives. Who doesn't want that? Jesus, the greatest philosopher, teaches us what is good, right, and beautiful and offers answers to life's big questions, what it means to be human, how to be happy, how to order our emotions, and how we should conduct ourselves and our relationships. So important. And, I, you know, if we get back to basics, I, I always spoke about, speak about Christianity 101. You know, as people get caught up in their little issues of whether churches must open or um, whether Trump must get into, <laughs> into mm. the, the hot seat or whatever, when they get on these little um, side issues, totally our Christianity 101 goes out of the window. We forget all about, you know, the loving, being kind, forgiving um, we forget we forget the basics, and 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 getting back to basics, I think, is critical. So, for interest's sake, we always have um, people or stuff or a book or something guiding us. What guides you in your passion? 
Well, in, in sharing my thoughts, um, and of course, they're thoughts that are shaped by my understanding of history and truth, and that is a lot of, um, of, of having listened to other people in terms of that. And I, I always talk about Lander Cope, who was so also influential in, in causing me to, to question myself um, very critically. But I'm reminded of words by David Hume, a Scottish philosopher born in 1711. And it goes, when men are most sure and arrogant, they are commonly most mistaken. Giving views to passion without the proper deliberation, which alone can secure them from the grossest absurdities. And I think a little of what you were speaking about earlier falls into this, because even the keenest searching and deliberation cannot change the fact that humans are fallible and that we must rely only on God, who alone is infallible. And I think that's so important. And I remember that coming through in Lander Cope's book, and it'll certainly come through in my book. <laughs> the, the importance of us understanding that we're in a fallen world. Every one of us, everything is in a fallen state. Everything is in need of redemption. But everything and everyone is redeemable. <laughs> and that's, mm. that's kind of the part we're forgetting. We kind of want to chop off heads and, um, you know, cripple people who are fallen. Um, and, the, you know, the fact that we put a bit of a veneer over our fallenness um, kind of uh, pushes us off the track. But when we see the fallen nature of man, that should inspire us because the enemy should not get that person. Um, we want them back. We want them where they're supposed to be, and that's with their creator. So, so I think that the important thing here is that we can be wrong. Life is, of course, both predictable, it's unpredictable, and, and having some understanding of history, current events, and politics can be helpful in preparing to face the future. But the curveballs are many, and many agendas inspired by our one enemy, the deceiver, not the ANC, not our husbands, not our wives, not our mother-in-laws, the deceiver, are constantly in play <laughs> as he tries to prevent human beings from spending eternity with their creator. So, and, and I think here of the single predictions, because this is what Christians are falling into this thing of predicting, and single predictions of the future are never helpful. They're an indication of arrogance and overconfidence. Um, my opinion is that we cannot afford to be mm. dogmatic precisely because we are human and we can be wrong. Mm. We also cannot afford to get into the fortune-telling business and to hang our hopes on one or other possibility as opposed to applying our minds to the many possibilities and probabilities and letting God be God. So um, th there are many who like to predict the worst and interpret every situation negatively. And these negative predictions and conclusions are often designed to spread disunity and fear in order to serve a specific narrow agenda. And often those people are mm. not even conscious of their own narrow agenda. They've, they've kind mm. of made it like put a little attached some kind of righteousness to it. And, and, and we, it's so very important that we, that we interrogate ourselves and that we understand that we're all inclined to have our own agenda. And it's, that's, you know, God sees all and, and, and this is really does not pass for, 
for Christianity and, and, and a true faith in, in terms of what his understanding would be. All right, so you've, um, you've mentioned assumptions. Uh, you've mentioned uh, cultural bias. Um, before I ask you why this is important, maybe just want to add something here. And please, once again, guide me if I'm wrong. Uh, there's a pastor in the Eastern Cape called Africa Moshlape. And Africa Moshlape yeah, yeah. says that we so often blame our actions on our culture. But yeah. in reality, we are born into race. Culture is a choice. That's very strong words. <laughs> Would you agree with something like that? Yeah, and there's many ways that many people put it, and mm. I have the greatest respect for Africa, and, and, and he you know, does an amazing work. But uh, also, um, culture is something that develops out of what we do. So it becomes, you know, if you do something once, and then you do it a second time, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually coming part of the yeah, culture. Yeah. So this is how it happens. Um, and, and, of course, we're born into the human race. Yeah. Sure. So, so for sure. me, it, 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 it's the big picture. And then, of course, the small picture is that, that the idea is that we're supposed to be taking care of each other. And so God gives us these little units of family units and village units, community, etc., so that we can, because if we're trying to look after the whole world all the time, we're not going to get much done, mm. but we can look after each other where mm. we can touch each other. Sure. And then some of us can spread a bit further and whatever. So, so, and, and, and there will be cultural norms there, but, but it's not static. No. Um, mm. Cultures develop and grow and what happens is, of course, people age like myself, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you tend to, and, and there's a certain comfort in mm. what the way things were done before. Uh, fortunately, I'm a bit of a change junkie, so I don't have too much of a <laughs> problem there. <laughs> but people around me would have more of the problem. But, the, but so, I think the culture thing is really important, though, not to just dismiss it, yeah. because. Your culture comes out of certain experiences that that grouping would have had, and that culture helped you get through life in those circumstances. But life doesn't stay the same. It, it moves on, it changes, and so there should be some adaptations to the culture. But, it's, but, but the whole idea of just like out with all culture and then in with a whole big nothing, <laughs> it, it, it's not wise because, um, mm. as I said, those cultures usually have developed um, on the basis of something and, and, the, and there's some part of it that is probably valuable. All right, so you have mentioned assumptions and you have mentioned cultural bias. Why, why, why is this important? Well, <laughs> the importance of questioning our assumptions cannot be overemphasized. And, and this features in whether we are contemplating the future, reading our Bibles, or conducting everyday interactions. We're making assumptions all the time. Um, when somebody says something to us, um, we will hear it from the point of view of our culture, what, what meaning we put to that word, that sentence, that whatever. And we don't even normally ask because it means something to us. So we assume that's what the person was meaning. When in actual fact, that person lives in a different community, a different uh, culture grouping, etc., and the thing means something quite different to them. So that, that um, 
testing our own our assumptions is, is really important. Um, removing our cultural bias or just being aware of it is so important. So whether we get to remove it or not, the fact is if we're aware of it, for example, reading the Bible, and I, and I first sort of got in touch with this idea in my first trip to Israel, it was really interesting, just kind of un- starting to understand that we read a Bible that is translated into Greek and then into English. And then we, with our Greek thinking (laughs) and our sort of English cultural assumptions, we read these words that, that, that came out of a Middle Eastern environment where the culture is completely different to ours. So the stories, the words, the, the things that were said were said with with assumptions that they would... So in other words, their stories wouldn't have gone into every little bit of detail because they knew if you say that, people would know what they mean. There's certain assumptions. We read it, we have completely different assumptions. So I started to realize that, again, the whole idea of being dogmatic is that we really do need to look at scriptures with this understanding of God needing to interpret what was going on and us getting a fuller context and being more careful about putting things in context. We we love the quick little quote of the day, which is mm. something that was said by somebody to somebody mm. who's in a completely different world, different yeah. age, from whatever. We've got to take that zap and just apply it to today's workings. And it, it, it's really not the case. It can be lovely in terms of, say, being like an art or like a like a listening to a song or a poem or whatever but it's not necessarily uh, uh, the word that's applying to the situation that we're facing in in that moment so um we do we we do operate very loosely in that way so and and again it, a lot of that comes back to the assumptions that we make um, that are not the assumptions the people were making at the time they were saying those things. So, so understanding that our, that our cultural norms and biases um, are there, and that when we're reading everyday situations, interactions as well, um, these things can distort our conclusions and distort our resulting actions. Which is why we need to ask people more questions and take the time to listen, because you know very often we ask questions like, "How are you?" We we have mm. no intention of hanging around and waiting to find out people's <laughs> um, health history, etc. So 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 to understand to really communicate, we're going to have to learn to be better listeners. <laughs> right. So I'm going to be a better <laughs> listener, especially with this next question, because uh, our chat tonight was initially inspired by uh, by the prevention and the hate crimes and hate speech bill that I've consumed my life for the past week. And uh, this is a, a highly contested piece of uh, draft legislation. Maybe we should start here. What is the background to this legislation? Good question. <laughs> the earliest on the formation of the bill began in 2009. And originally it intended only to address the offense of hate crimes. But then in 2015, that's quite a bit of time on for 2009, mm. Partly in response to the public outrage of the Penny Sparrow incident, you remember that, to do with beaches and monkeys and things, Mm. hate speech was included. 
So it didn't just come out of nowhere or some party like the ANC had this thing and it wanted to do, you know, everybody's got this picture of there being this great big conspiracy going on and people working. It, it is a very humanly inspired thing. Now, the hate crimes we know have been vicious and violent um, against women, that culture grouping, against homosexuals, against um, just race issues. So, so, so the hate crimes is very clear. Um, and the Penny Sparrow incident, again, people felt that their hands are tied. Now, those who submitted input on the bill ranged from conservative religious groups, mostly not wanting to be denied the right to speak out against homosexuality, to human rights groups defending the constitutionally entrenched right of freedom to expression, to politicians and journalists who had concerns that the political agenda of the bill was to silence critics of government, and so on. So you can sort of see... um, how you know it's it's moved through those phases up to now right so we know the bill outlines (laughs) the offense and the penalties of hate crimes and hate speech but what does this mean to us as south africans in general and to christians in more particular Well, the less contentious aspect of the bill is the creation of hate crimes, which have been found to be more brutal and often have a greater psychological impact than a non-hate crime, especially on the community or group that the direct victim belongs to. Um, Hate speech in terms of this bill refers to promoting or propagating hatred based on various categories of persons, and of course they list all the categories, and publishing or sharing statements that clearly intend to be harmful or incite harm. So while the bill excludes artistic creativity, academic or scientific inquiry, fair and accurate reporting, commentary in the public interest, and religious tenets, teaching, doctrine, or writings. It does exclude them, but they will not qualify for the exemption if they advocate hatred that constitutes incitement to do harm based on any protected ground. So, so in other words, there's an understanding that, the, that religious beliefs and activities, etc., should not fall into that. But if that religion particularly targets another group and what is said is going to cause other people to act out on those words, then it becomes a crime. And so that, if a person is accused of that, obviously there's a fair amount of discretion that the um, that the um, courts will have in terms of deciding whether that was um, whether it constituted incitement to cause harm. Look, um, I think I think that the the, the entire bowl will still be uh, broken open, and we'll see more in, in in depth about it as time goes on. I do know that a while ago I was involved with, um, and once again, uh, I don't want to mention any names, but a, a while ago I was involved with. Um, uh, Pastors and uh, commission of oath with marriage licenses um, are not allowed to say no if uh, 
if certain people come to you to ask uh, to, 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 to marry them. And when, when you do so, those people can report you to home affairs and, and further and further on, and your, your license as a marriage officer can be stripped from you um, if you refuse to, to do that. But um, I hope you hear where I'm coming from. My question is, mm. as, as much as originally pastors were said that you'll still have the right to say yes and no, I know of pastors whose license are taken away. And my concern with this is, is won't this significantly impact the freedom of religion? Or how do you see this? Do you see this um, <laughs> impacting the freedom of religion? Let's say I'm an MP and I happen to be in that committee, to, you know, that kind of thing. And so you would look at it and you would look at what what good can this do? What harm can it bring? Who can it? Who would it affect negatively, positively, etc.? So now, my, for me, I would now look at saying this is where harm could come. Um, this is where it could uh, inadvertently um, affect negatively a certain section of people. So what can we do to protect that? Sadly, what happens is the politicians go into that room and then somebody who thinks they're speaking righteously will say, this is ungodly, this is that, this is that, this is what, what, what. And it means absolutely nothing because they haven't addressed the fact that what harm is happening, who's being affected now, who might be affected with the legislation, how can we make sure that both sides are not are affected the least uh, negatively? So, so there needs to be, when dealing with these things, there needs to be an attitude of how can we make this work and not an attitude of it's just wrong and, and therefore we're against it and it makes no sense because it's not helping anybody. So there is a, a problem in terms of people's approach, particularly Christians when they come to address these issues. So now let's say you fight hard because I had some great successes in dealing with things like corporal punishment, like um, on the um, wedgie bill, etc., where we would say, now look, because I would know, I'm talking to people who've got Christian backgrounds, this and that, they don't have an agenda. Yes, the lobby groups, groups that are affecting them have an agenda, but, but they don't. So I'm saying, but now this, I can see this is what you want to fix, but this is the unintended consequences. And, and, and how can we, and it, sometimes it would come down to just changing one little word in a definition. And when you can say to somebody, if we just change this word, that will not affect the church, this, that, that, and that wasn't your intention in the first place. And, and, and it, it happens and you get what you want. Other times you don't get what you want because the feelings are so strong in terms of how other people are seeing it or your argument has been weak and you haven't put across um, what you need to say. So when you don't get what you want, if you know that you've been praying, everybody else has been praying, you had you understood your, your the issues, you had worked at being able to put it across in the best possible way and that you'd done everything possible in terms of pointing out that, that it was going to be a problem in terms of religious freedom, but um, in a way that other people could understand without shutting their ears. Now, if you've done all that and God still allows it to go through, we have to stop there and say, okay, God, what do you want? <laughs> 
What is what does this mean? Is are too many pastors just becoming marriage licensed people? Uh, what's the story here? Marriage isn't you know just or what's the opportunities? Where do we go from here? And then also you know for example as a, as a person in a political party, you don't always agree with what that leader or others have collectively decided to say. And you've got to find out. <laughs> you've got to decide. <laughs> On the right platform, you put your, the argument for what you think is right across. If you don't manage to persuade everybody, then at that point, and they vote against you, at that point, you will either decide, hopefully, when we come to this issue on another occasion, I will have learned to put it across better. They will hear what God's trying to say and all will be well and we'll have a different thing. In the meantime, you wind your neck in and you actually have to be a part of that. Do what you're supposed to do. Say what you're supposed to say. Or you resign. So you see, in everybody's life is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> there comes a point that your job you will not always be doing everything that is in line with what you think should be done. And it, it's, it's mostly we're supposed to, uh, um, what? Author realize whoever's in authority, we do what they're saying. But then there'll be certain things like if you stopped from praying at home or, you know, there's certain things that, um, are that important to you, you'll make you'll make that stand and you'll say, well, sorry, I can't work here anymore. Um, or God will have not let that legislation go through. Um, so, so there's a whole, <laughs> a whole lot of things here. And, and I think it's just seriously counterproductive mm. not to understand the processes and, and really get a, a stronger sense of the fact that God knows what's going on. He's known about it from the beginning of time, end of time. There's no such thing as time from him. He sees the whole picture. He sees everything. He knows what we're going to do, what we're going to say, how it's going to turn out. But we're supposed to constantly be anxious for nothing, look up, know that redemption draws nigh, and that hopefully that we've got as far as we can in terms of of. of being an example to other people that they want the same um, revelation that we have. And so, so, so whilst we've got to be completely in this, in the processes, in this world, we've got to keep looking for the opportunities to be the light in darkness, to be the one with a different attitude, a different approach, um, see the, um, you know, see what sort of see the big grapes and not the locusts and the, mm. <laughs> the, the whatever. So we've got to see the opportunities in all of these things. So, but so there's a time. There's a time to get the argument right, to put the argument across, and to put your passion into that. But you cannot manipulate people, and that's what the, unfortunately a lot of the fear mongering is is an attempt to manipulate people's emotions. It's like with the, the Islamic thing, to getting people to do treacherous, terrible things because of a fear um, that if they don't, um, that, you know, God's wrath will, will come. And, and, and basically that kind of manipulation 
is not God's way. So we, there's a point where we have to, even ourselves, as we're listening to people, we've got to, we've got to hear. There's often so much of what's God's word in what they're saying, but what they're doing, the way they're using that word is very manipulative. Um, I don't know if you can understand that. So, so our discernment mustn't just be about what words they're saying, but what, what they're aiming at um, doing in terms of manipulating emotions. Right. So believe it or not, guys, but uh, <laughs> time has actually caught up with us. And we're not even halfway wow. with the content that we still want to discuss. So how about we do a To Be Continued tomorrow? We're tomorrow, next week, Monday. Uh, will you be available for that? Yeah, that'll be lovely. Look forward to that. Because I've got so much questions brewing inside of me now. You don't even want to know. So I'm going to confile some yeah. questions for us for next week. <laughs> this was just a drop in the ocean. It is. <laughs> and yes, then that's lovely. My book. There's so much, and, and you can just WhatsApp me if you, if you want a copy. But, but it really just takes you through what my thinking was in the beginning, how it changed, how it didn't change, what was, you know, how it thought through things, <laughs> what worked, what didn't work, what my conclusions were. And, and I'm, I fully assume that when and if I write another book, um, that I will have grown since then as well but it, but it, it just was capturing a journey that not that many people get to take and um, and I really would like to share it with whoever's interested Alright, in 30 seconds how do people reach you? Go for it Okay, so you, my, my, I think the easiest way is just to WhatsApp me on 082 or they can email dudley.sherilyn at gmail.com. And um, the, the, the book, the hard copy book is 300 Rand. And the, um, what, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the Kindle version uh, is 200. So um, I, I will, or and I will post it to you with, for nothing. All right, super. And if you need more details regarding that, please send me a mail if you like, Dwayne at RadioPulpit.co.za or sport at RadioPulpit.co.za. I'll make sure that you get hooked up with Sherilyn Dudley. It's been an absolute pleasure having you this week. Um, Sherilyn, I hope you're ready for next week because I've got some questions lined up for you. Yeah, I'm good. And then and just go wherever you want to go because and also if people have WhatsApped you through the week in terms of what they want to hear, um, we can just go there. Um, as I say, doesn't mean I'm right, but it does mean <laughs> that I've been sitting where I've been sitting, and that's how it looked to me. You know? All right, well, super. We'll throw it up open to you guys. Please go tune into our podcasts, our rebroadcasts, and um, yeah, next week myself and uh, Sherilyn Dudley will be back. Thank you very much for your time this evening, Sherilyn. I can't wait for next week. Great pleasure. See right, guys, then. on behalf of me and my guest, um, I feel uh, a bit uh, outnumbered if it comes to years in politics. I've only been there a week. She's been there for 20 years. Uh, I can't wait for next week. Same time, same place, right here on Radio Pulpit 6.